0: Matthew chapter 16. We're not going to stand quite yet. Um, I promised some folks I'd share about the trip, um, and it, it actually ties in with the message. So um, what ended up happening is my, my wife, Michelle, uh, she turns uh, 50 uh, this month, uh, and actually it's the second anniversary of her 25th birthday, um, and, and we, I had budgeted uh, to take her on a trip for her 50th birthday. And we had had a limited amount to budget, and we invited a couple that we like to travel with. Said, "Why don't you guys come with us?" Um, and they said, "We can't go that week." And besides, we don't really like that cruise line. They're a little bit more affluent than we are. And uh, and they and I said, "Oh, bummer." Well, we'll okay. So we were having dinner over at Tuscany restaurant. They'd invited us to dinner. And as we were leaving, there was a a placard there with this trip that the chef at Tuscany uh, was doing. And um, Tommaso Barletta is the chef over there and he's hosting this trip on this cruise line and it's like super pricey and they go well this one fits in our time schedule we can go I go it's not even Michelle's birthday and it's way out of my budget and their comment was we'll cover the difference I'm like in um (laughs) sorry honey it's not your birthday but let's go so we agreed to go on this trip and it was a bunch of people signing up. Tommaso would take you. He's from Bari, Italy, take you into the inner regions and t- t- talk to you about the food. And he's a historian. He's, you know, he's a fascinating guy. Fascinating. So I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So we signed up for the trip and we're supposed to have a meet and greet with the other people that signed up. Well, Michelle and I and the other couple missed the meet and greet. Uh, and I'm glad we did because had we met these folks, we wouldn't have taken the trip. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being candidly honest. That's, that's my initial prejudice. Hang on. So we get to Rome, and our first meeting with all the couples, we sit down, and uh, they, they were under the m- misinformation that a priest was on the trip, <laughs> and a few of them had already been drinking before we arrived, and and one st- started, and, and I'm sharing this with you because I'm going to tell you later what ended up happening, my prejudice, I, God convicted me. So the first person stands up. And it's a kind of a meet and greet, and, they, and one person stood up and goes, "I hope there's not an effing minister here." I'm like, "Okay, we're off to a good start." And and uh, she said, "I'm I'm 95 years old, but I look this great because my husband's a plastic surgeon, and she's got a diamond ring that looks like a disco ball." They all did, and it was it was an eclectic crowd. I mean, it was like crazy, and and. I'm thinking, what have we done? And and a lot of folks, they're Jewish, and just a whole spectrum. And uh, and so we get back to the thing, and we're like, really, what have what have we done? And we began praying, and then through the course of the time, each and every one of them, you know, you you, you have a prejudice, and you pigeonhole people, and you put them in a category. I came to appreciate and love each and every one of those folks and saw a side to them beyond just the initial introduction, because people have prejudice and judgments. And it ended up being the most profound trip and a chance to just share at the deepest levels with each and every one of them to the point where we became the closest of friends. Uh, one guy, uh, one one guy in particular, um, the last night we'd had dinner with this one couple and another couple, and 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 this man and his wife uh had come with their mother and father and his sister and brother-in-law. And this guy says to Michelle. He goes, "You know Michelle, you're beautiful." First of all, I'm like, "Hey, watch it, pal." <laughs> and he he says he says uh, my father, who's like 85 something years old, Larry, I just love the guy. She he said I love my mom, but if my dad left my mom to marry you, he'd live 150 years because he's so enamored with you. I'm like, that's funny. I'm going to kill you. Uh, (laughs) But they they absolutely adored Michelle, And, and we were so out of our league, you know, socioeconomically, everything, and it was such a great trip, and each of them started to just pour their heart out, and the entire week or two weeks became ministry and heard about all the struggles and, you know, the health issues and the, the kids with drug addictions and family members struggling with drug addiction. And and they wanted to, I need to talk to you today. I'm like, I'm on a trip. I don't want to... There was more ministry on that trip than I get here. You guys are easy. I just want you to know. No, they... But at the end, I, I, I was so convicted by my judgmental attitude and so moved by these folks that we became the closest of friends, and so blessed by it. Can't wait to get back together with them. So that was part of the trip, and the trip began in Rome, and then went uh, to uh, up Italy, over to a couple of the islands, Corsica, etc., and then Monaco, France, and then ended up in B- Barcelona uh, in Spain. And if you've ever been to Europe, uh, you go into cathedrals and there's a couple things that you'd notice about cathedrals. One is they're all the same. And two, they're all empty. Anybody <laughs> disagree with it? And they're not all the same. I'm not dismissing the amazing artwork, but you walk in, it's kind of like, ah, 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 ah. it's like, ah. and there's dead people buried here and dead people buried here. And this is dedicated to somebody that's long dead and they're there. And there's, you know, it's just death and it's crazy. And I like doing that, but after a while, you've seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and uh, that's all I'm saying. I, I get to, but I get to Barcelona, and Mich- Michelle's saying, you know, you've got to go see the La Sagrada um, La Familia. La, La Familia. Yes. Yeah. You've got to go see this. It's, it's by Antonio uh, Gaudi. You've got to see it. I'm like, whatever. I get to this, just being honest. I get to this place, and I'm floored. And I want to show you this. Um, this is this is Antoni uh, Gaudi, and uh, I think he was born in like 1857. Died in the early 1900s. Um, he was a renowned architect. Um, they they, they want to uh, bring sainthood to him. They call him God's architect. He was a fascinating man. Um, and he, he said, straight lines belong to man, curved lines belong to God. And if you've ever seen a gouty house or a gouty structure, they're fascinating. And he takes into account nature and all these other things. One of the things I noticed in most of the cathedrals and the churches you go into is it, it, it's all dead people and statues everywhere, and it's just void of anything that moves you. And some things move me. Like when you've been to Rome, there's some things it, it takes your breath away. But for the most part, it's... okay. So when I walk into this structure, it is, it's stunning. I want to show you this, this is, it's all natural light. And, and during the course of the day, the light changes as it's going through these windows. And, and he told them, they said, we want to, we want to redo this, this church. And we, we want to ask you to do it. And he says, I'll do it, but it's going to take 250 years. He says, I'm going to be dead before it's finished. They go, we're in. And it was scheduled, to, they're going to finish it in about 90 years. They're scheduled to finish it in 2027, 2026, something along those lines. And it's, it's not a, a, a seat of a bishop or an archbishop, so it's not paid for by the Catholic Church. This is all private funds. And millions of people come into this every day. It's just packed. And on Sunday, when they open it up for services, they have to close the doors because of fire hazard. It just packs in with people and it's not even a bishop seat. So they're, you know, they're like, and the place where the bishop resides is like, whatever, nobody wants to go there. Everyone's packing into this thing. And it's so resplendent and so beautiful. And the thing you notice is there's no statues in there. Now, La Sagrada Familia, it's dedicated to the Holy Family, which is Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Those are the only three things you see in there. Jesus, and then you see Mary and Joseph, and that's it. There's no other statuaries, no funeral pyres, nothing nothing in there. Uh, Here's another picture of it. This cathedral is captivating. That's only one section of it as you're coming in. The other side, uh, it's just fascinating. So let's do another slide this is a picture of it. So you can see it being developed. And the t- the, s- the towers that you see, there's still, I think, seven or eight left to happen. And two of them are twice as high as the ones you see. It's going to just dominate the landscape. And they're stunning. Um, next one. These are some of the quotes. And he was, a, he was a very devout man. He loved the Lord. He said, originality consists in returning to the origin. And he also said, those who look for the laws of nature as a support for their new works collaborate with their creator. And then the other quote I gave you is, straight lines belong to men, curved lines belong to God. And he also wrote, man, listen, very important because we kind of elevate ourselves. Man does not create. He discovers. The word bara in Hebrew means, out of nothing, God created in the beginning, God created. If I ask you to describe nothing, you you can't because you live in a world of matter. You can form and shape, but you don't create, you discover. And he was, he, he was a student of, of observation and nature. He loved nature. So even the, when you'd look through the door, it was shaped like a beehive, the handles, he would take it from nature. You walk around the exterior of the building and everything, it, it is fascinating. His, his homes are fascinating. And he was a man that he never married he he was very devout he actually died on his way to church as he was praying and he got hit by a anyways uh where were we so when they wanted to to be a fine when they wanted to to bring him for state, uh, sainthood, one of the things they called him is they said he's god's architect he he was a very humble man um, he he lived a very quiet life for the most part uh, wore for the most part pauper clothes but he's world famous and and to pay for the construction of this, so many people come in and pay entrance fees that it's, they've exceeded the amount of money they need. They just have to have the time to finish it. Most of the churches around the world can't even get people to donate to build it. They, can't, they, they have more money than they know what to do with because the man saw something in nature that reflected God. We like to think is, you know, if, if you remove God from the equation, we have this mindset of Nietzsche, and we're just cosmic accidents, and, and we are our own universe, and we're going to force our will. The emptiness that results in that, that there's no order or structure, and there's no designer, it leaves us almost empty and self-consumed, as though we're the center of the universe. For Gaudi, he had a love for the Lord and and observed his his creation in nature and nature, and designed according to the creation. And that's what makes his work so fascinating and draws people. Now, I will share this. When you walk into some of these cathedrals and churches in Europe, you're like, I've been here, done that, I got the t-shirt, let's move on. You walk into this one, it took my breath away. And I could just sense the presence of the Lord to the point where I was moved. And, and I, I don't even know how to describe to you how fascinating this was. And as I thought about it, it's because he removed all the statuary and all the, the, the distractions and you could just sense the presence of the Lord. He he made the the plain thing the main thing and the main thing the plain thing. And you could feel that. And it was this this work of his was, was fascinating. And and I know that's a long introduction, but I, I'm gonna give you the main point of what I'm sharing today. And I wrote it down so I can make it easy for you. It's easy to get distracted by good things in this life and neglect the best that God wants for our lives. And my point is this. this. I, I was on a trip because I wanted to have a good time. And the last thing I was expecting was to spend, you know, 14 days ministering to people that are so unlike me. And I thought, at first, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to distance myself. And then I came to realize that I was neglecting the best for the good. And when I kind of yielded to the Lord, the trip became even more fascinating And my life is richer and fuller for having met these folks. And, you know, the conviction was so healthy. Um, And I I pray that the message today ministers to you because this is a profound message. Um, Not that I'm going to give, but that what we're going to read. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and take a look at it. We're going to pick up at verse 24. I know I I covered this, but it, it, it builds into chapter 17. So bear with me if you would. Verse 24 of Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've covered that. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. And then this is this is now going in. This is the bridge into chapter 17, verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then it goes into chapter 17, and get ready. They get to see the kingdom. Now, after six days, chapter 17, verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, Led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured in the Greek is metamorphosis. So you, know, you caterpillar and goes into the cocoon and crystal and then turns into a beautiful butterfly. He's transformed before their eyes. Transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's one of those guys that when he's nervous, he talks. (laughs) And in the middle of him going, we can build three tabernacles. We can build one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We could, you know, this, hey, wow. And at that moment, while he was still speaking, the scripture is very clear. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well. pleased. shut up, Peter, and listen to him. I added the shut up, but it's emphasized in the Greek. Not really, but I still added it. The only person that God ever said shut up to you and lived. I'm just saying, and and watch what happens. Verse 6, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So they're all on their faces, and the other two are pointing at Peter going, he said it, he said it. And Jesus touched them and said, Arise, don't be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And so we're going to focus on that this morning and see what the Lord has to say to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I ask your blessing upon all who are in attendance today. Some want to be here, some don't. But Lord, you're thrilled they are. And you've come to meet with them, even if they're not really interested in meeting with you. But you have a way of getting our attention, just like you did with Peter, James, and John. And so through the course of this message, soften our heart and allow us to just be open as I was at the table with those folks that my prejudice was softened and my eyes were opened and life became even richer. So Lord, bless this time, I pray, according to your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please have a seat. So God got my attention uh, at that dinner table that night, and and it was fascinating to see how it all came together, and we ended up just having a, 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 just an abiding friendship with each and every one of them, every one of them we had a love for, it was fascinating. Folks, I would never, you know, some, some were from Beverly Hills, and I mean, just not kind of people I hang out with, and I, you know, I've got judgment in mind, and the Lord convicted me in regards to that. And it's fascinating how the Lord gets our attention in life, and that's what he's doing here. Uh, He's got Peter, James, and John. Peter, and then James and John are brothers. And Jesus works in this management style. He has his three, his 12, his 70, and his multitude. So if you run a business, you understand that you got folks that are real close in the inner circle that you want to kind of transition the business to. And then you got the 12 that are going to be mid-level. And then you got your 70 that are going to run all different other areas. And then you got the multitudes that you're reaching. And, and as the business expands, you've got to have folks that are closer to that. So he, Peter, James, and John are the three. And then he's got the 12, the 70, and the multitude. And he's pouring into Peter, James, and John. He pulls them aside. They've been up in... Caesarea Philippi, and they, they go up on this high mountain, and as he's trying to get their attention, he brings them up to this mountain, and, uh, most of the times he takes them aside for a time of teaching and prayer, but not this time. As they're walking up the mountain, uh, Jesus turns around, and as he turns around, he's transfigured. And, and this transfiguration, this metamorphosis, as the Greek points out, is, is, it's this idea that, that he's wearing an earth suit, basically. And what you have is a shell. The Greeks say soma, psyche, and pneuma, body, soul, and spirit. Your body is consists of the basic elements in the dirt, right? And uh, mostly water. And it's a shell that encapsulates you. You've got a soul, which is your mind, or your intellect, your ability to think. And then the Greeks called it pneuma, which is your spirit. So man is a trichotomy, a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And, and, and here, this idea of who we are and the identity of who we are comes together. Well, for Christ, he's God. So this is a picture of his deity. Now, he's, he's walking in humanity. He's tempted in all ways. He's, he's, he's in flesh. God, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. God became flesh and dwelt with man. He tabernacled with man. So he's in his flesh. And all of a sudden, he allows what's in him to radiate out of him. And all of a sudden, <coughs> And and these guys are like, yeah, we're with Jesus. What? And just and, and and the picture of it in, in this is is all of a sudden he starts to become as white as the light. Um, Mark points out that it's almost like lightning. Uh, Jeff, you were you were describing. You, you come here. Tell everybody what you do. I, I just called him. I didn't do this last service.
1: Uh, I'm an infrared scientist. Infrared so.
0: scientist. And one day after service, he starts talking to me about color. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't grasp it. But one of the most fascinating things, and I want you to cover this, tell us what white is in the color spectrum.
1: So white light is when we reflect all light, the truth, everything through us. Light does three things, absorb, transmit, or reflect. If we can reflect all white light then it turns like snow. So it's purity. And if you transmit, whatever you absorb, one thing about absorption, if you absorb everything, you become black. So if you only absorb and you never transmit his word, if you never reflect his word, then you'll just become black inside. So it's purity of white.
0: And you also said that white is all the colors? All the colors
1: mixed. So
0: So you have to sit at a table with people who aren't like you. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Yeah. Share some more. Is anyone fascinated by this? The greatest
1: part about light is that even in science, we don't even actually know how it transmits, right? We either think it's a particle or a wave. We don't know how it transmits. We don't know how how it started. But the great thing about radiation is it actually comes from one source. So whatever you see is what is reflected. So if you see red, it's what reflected back to your eyes. We don't transmit that. We don't absorb that. We don't start that. So the greatest thing about him radiating is actually he's producing it.
0: So when the scripture says, thank you, let's thank him for that. In the book of Revelation, it says that they don't need any light because the lamb of God is the source of light. We reflect, we're like the moon, he's the sun. Would that be a good description? And and we reflect that. So what's in you reflects out of you in that sense. In this picture, his Earth suit can't contain who he is, and it just starts to radiate and this would, This would be a Hollywood thing that I'm sure they could do with you know really cool stuff <laughs> i don't even know how to describe that but but as 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 you see this and all of a sudden it's radiating they're blown away they're just they're, they're stunned and and peter's reaction, if you 've ever met anyone like this, they just tend to babble when they're nervous. Oh, oh, well, we could build three tabernacles. And they just start saying stuff that's just stupid. And Peter, bless his heart, I totally relate to him, he just starts saying, we could we could build three tents, and one for you, and one for you, and we could build you a tent. And as he's talking, and God is radiating, this cloud comes down, and, and so you're seeing the lightning, and all of a sudden the thunder comes. And the thunder is this voice from heaven and it's like the Magnificent Seven, this western. You've got you got Elijah, Moses and Jesus. You've got Peter, James and John. You've got God the Father. And the Magnificent Seven, all of a sudden the voice comes from heaven and it, it just says, as, as he's still talking, he says, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Shut it, Peter. Listen. And that voice floors these guys. They're just... Now, this this is fear, and the idea is reverential fear. You come into the presence of somebody great. You, you have you know reverential fear. This is paralyzing fear. They're paralyzed. And I, and I got news for you. You go through your whole life going, God doesn't exist. Screw God. Who do, He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. And all of a sudden you die. and You go, What have I done? I am way off. I thought I was the center of the universe, and I'm a gnat on the butt of an elephant. And I have been running my life with my own strength, and I have made no difference, because I'll tell you what, you just travel the world, and you see generations and generations that have come and gone. One of the things about Gaudi is he said, 250 years will take to build this. I won't even be here when it's completed, but this is a work that goes way beyond me. We're so consumed with ourselves, we can't think beyond. And he's enamored with the universe and the creator, and he, he, he realizes we, we, we design, we don't create. And and this is what's so fascinating by this picture is as Peter's talking, this voice from heaven just says, listen to the Lord. And so he gets their attention and his face is shining, his garments are as white as light. And he's totally got their attention when uh, the Lord speaks out. And what's fascinating is Peter, James, and John realized it was Moses and Elijah. They'd never met them before. Uh, These guys were dead hundreds of years before they walked the earth. And they're like, hey, that's Moses and Elijah. I don't know how that is. All I know is the Bible says that when you're in heaven, all things will be made known. It's, it's like you, you have the full extent of your brain. You, you have a, a body that's eternal. You have, you can, you can pass through walls as Jesus. I mean, this is going to be kind of trippy. And you get to try, read about it. You'll like it. And, and, and I think the best part about it is Jesus' resurrected body is at 33 years of age. So I'm thinking that's a really good rewind for me. Just back to 33 you know, after 33, I ended up with a, a, a furniture issue. My chest moved into my drawers and it's just. <laughs> but you get this rewind and they immediately know it's, it's Elijah and Moses. All things are made known. I, it's going to be like a reunion. You're going to go, Hey, you, the, ah, you know, Chuck Spurgeon, what's up, bro? Hey, and you'd start, Hey, John Calvin, John Knox, Right maybe not. I'm excited about heaven. Some of you look like you're a <laughs> little, I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to see my dad. I'm, I'm excited about this. And, and, and as, as you're going through this, they recognize it's him. How? Not sure. And they're understandably excited about the whole picture. And, and Peter begins to mumble that, that we can build this. And then that voice comes from heaven. And all of a sudden the excitement turns to just absolute fear. And at that moment with this fear, it says, um, they fell on their faces, they were greatly afraid, but Jesus came and touched them and said, arise, don't be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw nobody but Jesus. And there's, there's three things in the passage that I want to just briefly cover this morning. The first one in the passage is that uh, God wanted, obviously, to get Peter, James, and John's attention. And you can imagine this dramatic experience, he got their attention. I just, I want to stop for a minute. God wants your attention. I mean, we, we look at life and we're so, we have ADD. We're enamored with everything, bobbles and trinkets and, oh, hey, there's a squirrel. And you just, it, and, and God has interesting ways of getting our attention. Why are you doing this to me? So we, we think he's getting our attention when it, all hell breaks loose, right? And oftentimes in my life, I'm watching things implode in front of me. I'm like, okay, what, what am I missing here? And and he he speaks loudly in pain and in trials. And he's saying, "Are you tired yet of running things your own way? I mean, you're laying awake at night. You've got there aren't any pills to get you. You know, you can take some to get you to sleep and some to wake you up. And you know, you can try to make yourself feel better and watch this and watch it. But the The moment where all that kind of winds down, really, you doing okay? I'm here. I've been wanting to talk to you. I, I I I created you in my image. I want to have a relationship with you." I'm relational. How's that life going for you? I'm fine, I don't need you. I'm I've got the world by the tail and I'm great, but what's your future? you build something that's gonna exist? Oh, I'm living for myself and I, you know, eat, drink, and be married, tomorrow you'll die. I don't you know, God doesn't exist, who cares? And and what's the byproduct of that? I'm sitting at a table with folks that that they make more in interest than I'll make in my lifetime. Seriously. And they want my counsel. My council. They they don't know. I, I went to Fresno State. Now, granted, it's the Harvard of the San Joaquin Valley, but I went to Fresno State. And I didn't even do very well. I graduated barely. And they're wanting my counsel. They've bought and sold businesses. They they know how to run things, and they're still wanting my counsel. Why? And they enjoy my company. Why? Because you radiate and you won't radiate unless Christ gets in you. You, you, he won't radiate out of you. My brother said to me one time, he's nine years older than me and and he's, he's always kind of like BMOC and he's the guy. And, and my dad would always, you know, Hey, why can't you be like your brother? And (laughs) he's got a little annoying. Um, and then all of a sudden, my brother, a couple of years ago, he was going through a couple of trials and some difficulty, and, and he would call me, and we'd talk, and he said, he said to me, when did my little brother become so wise? You know, my flesh took over. Well, he's always been wise. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> what are you thinking? Just now recognizing the absolute. <laughs> when I first became a Christian my parents never taught me the Bible. I never went to church. For those of you who've been raised in the church and walked away from it, and, and you know, you think you get it, you don't. I've, I've been in the world that you want to be a part of, and now I've come back to the world you left. And and as I as I just see the joy in this, and give it a fair shake, you've dismissed it because of something that went wrong, but the reality is there's something powerful here. And, and I remember I... I I didn't know where to start. I want to know about God. I didn't know where to start, and I, I came up with this idea, and I thought it was brilliant, brilliant. Only to realize it had been discovered thousands of years before me by thousands, billions of people, and I'm again a gnat on the butt of an elephant. I saw 31 chapters of Proverbs, and I remember reading that wisdom comes fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is part wisdom. I'm like, I want to be wise. There's 31 days in a month, bit largest month. I can read one Proverb chapter a day, and then I'll get wise. And and since my Christianity began to today, I've I've read the Proverbs. One and they they pop out. You've heard them in sermons. I, I read the one year Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverb. And if I miss a reading, I don't like go back and get all overwhelmed with it. I just pick up where I left off. I just pick up where the next day is. And and all of a sudden, the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And I start to gain wisdom to the point where my nine-year-old, my my brother's nine years older than me, although he acts like a nine-year-old, my my brother's nine, (laughs) he's saying, when did you become so wise? That's not me. I I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer. When I'm sharing with him words that pertain to a situation that are found in the scriptures, he sees sees this navigation point for life. Let me help you. You say, that there isn't anything spiritual. You're simply, you don't believe in anything metaphysical. We're just, we're just, we're just matter. Really? Then how do you transmit truth? And what is truth? Is truth subjective? That that world is such a fantasy and you have to, you have to come up with all kinds of gimmicks to try to make sense of it, which it never will. But when you realize if you can get the first verse of the Bible in the beginning, God created If you don't have a problem with that, you won't have a problem with the rest of the Bible. And it's a roadmap for you. And and he wants to get your attention to wake you up to this. And that's exactly what he does. And this is the thing God showed me during this trip is he wanted to get my attention. Just like he wanted the attention of Peter, James, and John. And he got their attention. It was burned into their minds when they saw this picture. John later wrote, and he was the last apostle to die. And he died of natural causes. The others died, uh, By martyr's death. In 1 John 1 5, he writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in them there is no darkness at all. He still can't get this vision out of his head of what he saw with the Lord that day. He's floored. Peter wrote in his last epistle before he'd be crucified upside down, 2 Peter chapter 1, he writes, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And and we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's like, I can't get this out of my head. It is stuck there. He wanted to get their attention and, and he got it. God always puts high priority on getting our attention. He always does. I'll tell you what, there's nothing that you'll get your attention more than you have cancer. Your loved one is Sick. There's nothing to get your attention like some sort of crisis in life. It's fascinating that our Christian walk is bookended. Typically, as children, we we receive the Lord in simplicity. The, The riddle that was posed to the kindergartners and the graduating Stanford seniors, what is greater than God, more evil than the devil, the rich need it, the poor have it, and if you eat it, you'll die. None of the Stanford seniors could get it, but the kindergartners got it. Nothing. They didn't have to get past. They didn't need the other part, but they, the first. What's greater than God? Nothing. All the others are like, "Well, okay." So, it's a shower, and and you you lose the Lord in the process of it because, and then and then as you get older on that downhill slide, and the body starts, the wheels start falling off. You're like, I think that there's something more than what I thought, and he gets your attention. People want the right to die legislation. You don't want people to suffer. I have to tell you as a minister, the most profound moment of someone's life is on their deathbed. They're a captive audience. They're very mindful of what's taking place. Yes, they're in a lot of pain, but God gets your attention. And in that, he wants to speak to you. He doesn't want anyone to leave this earth without being reconciled to him. And he'll stop at nothing to get your attention. And you can you can turn the music up. You can shout louder and take more drugs. It's not going away. He will pursue you to the very last moment. Isaiah 28, 23 says, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say, says the Lord. Deuteronomy 7, 12, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you. And you think, why should we pay attention? Jeremiah 29, 11, the Israelites were sent into 200 years of exile into Babylon and God said this to them. They got their attention. They're, they're, they're losing their country. They're marching to Babylon. He's got their attention. He says through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Trust me. And and he'll remove everything you're reliant on so you can realize that you've never been in control of anything. He wants you to trust him. And and I, I guess the question boils down to, Do you want God's plans for your future, or do you want to be in charge of that? God's plans are bigger. I mean, the trip I had planned to Europe, God had a way bigger plan in mind, way bigger plan in mind. The second part of the message that God gave me when I was reading it just personally was that I saw the story of Jesus on the mountain in this picture that it's possible to focus on the wrong things in life. It's possible to focus on the wrong things in life. We get so distracted by other things. I, I, um, I want to show you a video. And if you've seen it, just be quiet. All right? Don't spoil it for the rest of the folks. Um, you just check this out. Let's show it.
1: How many passes does the team in white make?
0: Go!
1: The answer is 13, but did you see the moonwalking bear?
0: Alright, that's good. And if you doubt that, just, you can go pull that up, the moonwalking bear, and you'll, you'll see from the beginning, it's, that, that bear's there. And I, and I think oftentimes, uh, it's possible, it's possible to focus on the wrong things. And, you know, Peter sees Elijah and Moses, and the first thing he says is, let's build three tents. And, and as he says this, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And watch, in the course of this, as, as, as Peter starts babbling, um, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents, you know, Old Testament prophets. And, and Peter misunderstood the message of what God wanted him to see. He, he sees these three folks, he says, let's build some, some tents for you. And, and, and what he's doing is he wants to put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah, And when he's doing this, this cloud descends, and and this is my son, listen to him. God just simply says this, and the cloud vanishes, and the only thing remaining is Jesus. Now, I have to tell you something. You got a lot of things that you're focused on that are good. You all have families, that's good, right? Amen? But if a man loves his mother and father more than me, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. You all have businesses, that's good. You have employment, that's good you got a lot of things that are good, but they don't take the precedent over Jesus. We, we lose focus and we don't see the things God wants us to see. Uh, let me ask you this. Was Moses' face shining or Elijah's shining? Jesus was the one radiant. These guys didn't have anything going on. They missed the moonwalking bear. Peter's like, 13, well, you know. We'll build three tents. They missed Jesus. He's the one shining. It's easy to get distracted by good things. It's easy to get distracted by good things, especially when you neglect the best for what God wants for your life. We read in the passage earlier in, in the first portion that what does it, it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? I mean, you're going after stuff. You want to be physically fit. You want to look good. You, you, whatever it is. I, I was with a group of people that if, if looks made you happy, they win. If money makes you happy, they win. They win. If status and, and, and educational achievement, then they win. I'm the loser at the table. Why did they want my counsel? None of it accomplishes a relationship with the Lord. If those become the primary things and God is absent in the equation, you miss all the joy of life. In him is the fullness of joy. Those things that they're participating in aren't bad but they can't be primary. God is primary. That's what made Gaudi's work different than all the others is he made the Lord first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. And, you know, the thing Peter wanted is he wanted to build tents. And, and I think about that. You want a tent for your job. You want a tent for your family. You want a tent for your finances. And you're putting all those on equal footing with Jesus and you got a problem you got a problem. God expects to have first place in our lives. Nothing else is going to do. So I I guess we'll just conclude by saying, what what do we learn from the passage? Uh, The first thing I told you is, God wants to get our attention. He wants to bless us. And he'll do anything he can to get our attention. And we're obviously distracted by important things, and we miss the moonwalking bear, Jesus, in the course of life. We all do. We all do. I mean, think about it. You go to church, but is is Christ in the equation? You're looking at every what everybody's wearing, the quality of the music you're listening to. Uh, do we have reservations for lunch? Why is he still talking? I, I don't want to be here any longer. And in the midst of you going on about all your agenda items and things you consider important, God just says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then he removes everything. So you just see Jesus. And he's got a way of getting your attention and you can make it easy or hard. He'll get your attention. I had a friend one time. He was, he was an amazing golfer. He was going to turn pro. He was an amazing snow skier. He, He was dating the most beautiful girl in our high school. I mean, the two of them together looked like they should have been on a wedding cake. They just, I called him Captain No Pimple. He was chiseled out of granite. He just, you know, and I looked like I was goalie for the dark team. This guy, he, he just looked good, you know? And he went back and he was snow skiing in Utah and he broke his neck and he was a quadriplegic. Thrown out, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, was thrown out the window and ended up in a snowbank His life was saved. His girlfriend ended up leaving him. He's, he's in a breathing machine. He's struggling. I remember to go to visit him. His aunt was there. Most of his friends just peeled off. You know, nobody wants to be around a quadriplegic. That's not that's not life. I don't want trouble. And, and one of the folks that I had met on this trip that I had prejudged, they had a Down syndrome daughter. Most people in their class would have aborted that child. She couldn't stop talking about what a blessing she was in her life. Most people don't want that headache. She saw the Lord in it. She said, I see God in her more than anything else. And, and my friend, his comment was, I'm glad God did this to me because he would have never gotten my attention otherwise. He's still alive. Most people who are quadriplegic don't live that long. He's still living, and he's doing well. And you see this, and God wants to get, get our attention, but I, I would just say the most central focus is that Jesus has to be the central focus. When God the Father said, this is my son, listen to him. How do you listen to the Lord? The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So there's only one way to get to know the Lord. Only one way. You got to read. I don't like reading. Well, you're you're on a quick road to nowhere. Cultures that are illiterate implode, and you're enslaved. You read, you're set free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Read. Uh, And you've heard me say this. I don't want to read the Bible. It's boring. So are you. (laughs) Right? Read the Bible. And, and, And you look at this, and if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's like an accident occurred, and they're on each corner, and they all have a different observation of it. And as you read it, you start to see different angles of the Lord. Matthew's a Levitical priest that got disenchanted with the church or the temple and walked away and became a tax collector. Fascinating story. Luke is a doctor. Back then it was slavery and he was traveling with Paul and John Mark was a guy that was just dismissed by Paul, and Barnabas's cousin loved him, and he came back and wrote the gospel of Mark. And you know, John is he ends up trying to be boiled alive on the island of Patmos, and he's the only living apostle, and he's the apostle of love, and the angles and each of them has a different picture of Christ. It's awesome. And you read him and you just dig in. Or just dismiss it because some community college teacher told you that, you know, comparative religion and dismisses scriptures and you bought it hook, line and sinker. Cause you're, you're going to listen to what someone else told you instead of read for yourself, read it. Read the read the epistles; these little letters. You learn how the churches operate. You understand how a family operates. Ephesians five and six is a picture of the family. You start to gain wisdom and knowledge and insights. And it doesn't matter where you start; just read it. And, and well, what Bible? I mean, there's all you got: NIV and NASB and NKG and NKVG and GLM and da, 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 The best version of the Bible is the one you're reading. Just read it. New World Translation is a lot, but still, even if you read that. You're going to be a lot better if you're not reading. Just read it. Quit being an idiot. Seriously, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Isn't your life bigger? Can't you conceive of a creator? Is your world so narrow that you would dismiss everything and something that has transformed Western culture and minds and and is lasting? Do it read and when you do that in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh and dwelt with man as you read you're hearing the lord hear ye him and all of a sudden your life is fruitful And one day you turn around and your older brother goes when did you get so wise and a table of people that could buy and sell you a thousand different ways are asking for your counsel and let me tell you something. I got humbled that trip because I was sitting with people who were candidly honest. We walk around with a false spirituality because we really aren't in the word, but we appear to be. And when our faith is tested, we crumble like a house of cards. And these folks had lived of life and they saw that we, we went for everything and we got it and it's still nothing. What do you have? And they get it. And we walk in as though, well, it's a Sunday. But we're opening the living, breathing word of God. The author of Hebrews, and I'll close with this. The author of Hebrews simply said this, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We don't know who the author is. We assume it's Paul. But it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, I took my son when he was 13 years old on a walkabout. And I said, you're becoming, a, you're going from a boy to a man. And I said, every great journey begins with the end in mind. So I started at, a, at the cemetery. And I said, these are tombstones. Every man is appointed once to die. And you're going to stand before God and give an accounting of your life. Even if you don't believe in him, it's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. It doesn't matter. God's still there. <coughs> you, you look at the order of the universe, and you, you can't say there's not a designer. Well, I've never seen God. Well, I've never seen the designer or architect or builder of this building, but I know he exists right? Hello? The sun rises and the sun sets. We're held on nothing. We're 5% closer to the sun. We'd burn to death. 5% further away. We'd freeze to death. It's, it's a fascinating picture. The intricacies of the human cell, the single cell, and look at a baby being born and you're going to dismiss that. The Bible says a fool says there is no God. And it's very convenient to say there's no God because you don't have to obey anything. It's really good when you don't want anyone's authority, but it doesn't, you're just going to be living off of somebody else's hard work and you're going to be drawn to it. And I remember them saying, I would like to have a family like yours. And I'd like to, I said, you want all the benefits of what we have, but it requires obedience to what God says. Submit yourself to the Lord. He'll lift you up. Listen, apart from the Lord, I got nothing. Anything good in my life is all the Lord. And this is that race that you run. And then it just says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see here, these are the elements of communion. This isn't a ritual, this is realistic. The picture is his body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. What is sin? Sin is an archer's term. You miss the mark. Here's the bullseye. Here's where the arrow lands. It's the sin distance. How far you've fallen from perfection. There's nobody perfect. If you are, you got an ego trip. Every religion in the world is man trying to hit the bullseye, and we never get there. Christianity is different from every religion in the world. God moves the bullseye to where we are. He imputes his righteousness to us by faith. So we do what's right because we're saved, not to be saved. It's it's a relationship of adoration, not obligation. It's kind of cool. I don't go home every night to my wife because I wear a wedding ring. I go home because I love her. It's relational. It was relational in the passage, and it's relational today. And he says, come to me. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the moonwalking bear that you've been missing in life. And you've been enamored with trying to count how many passes there are. He's right here. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He is the creator. He holds your hand. He holds your life in the span of his hand. He's got you. And he wants your attention. And today he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He wants to wake you up from when you were a little child and you remember your heart beating when you realize there's a creator. He's catching you now so you don't have to go through the misery in the middle. Wake up. Here's the moonwalking bear. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you. He moved the bullseye, and you receive it by faith. I I have to tell you, I'm in a room of people who are sitting here by their own free will, maybe, and none of those folks have ever stepped foot in the church, but they got it. Don't let this become mundane because you're enamored with the baubles and the trinkets of good things, and you've missed the main thing. It's Jesus. Hear Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You despised the shame, Lord, and you you took the penalty for our sins upon yourself. And you were fully human and fully God. And there on the Mount of Transfiguration, you revealed yourself to Peter, James, and John. They never forgot it, and you got their attention, as you've got ours today, Lord. We get totally enamored with the things in life that aren't supposed to be primary. And we've lost sight of you. And today you've gotten our attention. You've called us back. Do this in remembrance of me. I love you. I gave my life for you, that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free, that you'd have a roadmap. You'd begin with the end in mind, that you'd live for things that are eternal. And Lord, I just thank you for refreshing my heart on this trip and opening my eyes to the things you want to do. And I pray you'd bless each and every person as we take communion, that our hearts would be refreshed in you. So thank
1: you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.